you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3. It is good to be home. Uh, we love this church and this community and uh, have so many fond memories of so many of you. And It's always good to be back. Uh, Rachel's here with me somewhere. There she is, over here. So you can speak to uh, Rachel afterwards, too. Uh, some of you have asked. Uh, uh, everybody's doing well. Uh, Christy has three children. Their oldest is going to be a senior in high school this year, if you can believe that. Our youngest daughter, Cece, has three little girls and a fourth on the way in the next two or three weeks, and it's going to be a little boy, we found out. And uh, uh, Rachel's doing lots of grand... I don't know whether you say grandmothering or grandmothering, but uh, lots of that at any rate. We moved back to Jackson about three years ago after having been in Charlotte for 15 years. and It's special to be around those kids and grandkids uh, a lot now, too. But it's good to be with us, be, be with you. We, we all have our stories, uh, and we keep up with you and many of your stories and some of your loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord that I know you miss. Some of them uh, earlier than we expected, or maybe we ourselves thought was best. And we know some of your struggles and heartaches and difficulties and some of the things you rejoice in, some of the new babies and grandbabies and uh, some that have come to know our Lord and some, even in their older age, have gotten excited about Christ, and uh, we have our stories, our personal stories, our family stories, our uh, stories as a church, uh, or as a school, or even as a, a business. And in those stories, we have things that encourage, and are inspiring, and uplifting, and positive, and in all our stories, we also have times that Situations that are difficult, hard, even now bring back memories that are painful, hurt. That's all part of the story. But sometimes, particularly in the midst of those parts of the story that are hard and difficult and frustrating, we wonder, is there anything else? Is there any theme? Is there any overarching story that help, would help make sense out of all of this. Put it, help us put it all together in a way that makes sense and is clear and is helpful. And actually, there is such a story, an overarching, ultimate story, what some refer to these days as a meta-narrative, the ultimate meta-narrative that fits everything together, puts it all in place, makes sense of it all, and that's God's story. The story we find in the Bible. Uh, the story that begins in Genesis. It tells us about paradise lost. Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden. Had everything. Had the tree of life there, but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate and they sinned, and in them we all sinned. Paradise Lost. But the very end of the Bible, the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, tells us about Paradise Regained, Paradise Restored, a, 
an even more beautiful garden with a great city in that garden with streets of gold and gates of pearl. And, and the tree of life is there again. But this time it says the tree of life is on both sides of the river of life flowing from the throne of God down through the city, as if it's two trees. But then it talks about the tree of life giving forth fruit, a different kind of fruit, every month of the year. Maybe 12 different trees, I don't know. But the picture is of a garden that's even better, more glorious. Paradise regained, restored, is even better than paradise lost. And in between, in the middle of that great story, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament in our times, moving from paradise lost to paradise regained. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 3. Actually, he uses the word mystery several times here. And in the Bible, when you see the word mystery, it doesn't mean something mysterious or weird. It just means something that we would have not figured out on our own. It's something that God has to reveal to us if we're going to know it. And then that's the sense in which he uses the word mystery here about God's eternal plan and purpose. So let's read together the word of God as it's found in Ephesians 3 beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Even his suffering, our sufferings, are part of that overall plan, that eternal plan, he says. It's the eternal purpose of God. It's a mystery, he says, something that we would have not figured out on our own, but God had revealed it fully to Paul. Now, Paul says that this mystery was revealed some in the past, in the Old Testament, but in bits and pieces not as clearly as it was revealed in the New Testament. For instance, 
He says about this mystery of Christ in verse 5, that it was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is this, he says in verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now the Gentiles are basically everyone who's not a Jew. The Gentiles, the peoples of the world, the nations. And he says the mystery that's being revealed, it was there in the Old Testament, but more fully revealed now, is that God's plan, his eternal purpose, is to bring into his family people from every tongue and tribe and nation on the earth and to prepare them for glory, for paradise regained. Now, it's something that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, We see it, for instance, in Abram or Abraham. Remember, his name was changed. Abram means exalted father. His name was changed by God to Abraham, which means a father of many nations. And God made promises to him. The promise we often remember the most is the one he said, I will be a God to you and to your descendants after you. But another promise he made often to Abraham was in you, that is in your descendants, in your seed, ultimately in Christ, will all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we see examples of that with individuals in the Old Testament. For instance, when the people of Israel came into the, to the land, uh, the first city they came to, remember, was Jericho, and one of the ladies in that city was converted. A Canaanite woman, Rahab, became part of the people of God and even of the lineage of Christ. Another woman like her, Ruth, remember, was a Moabitess, became a believer, part of the people of God and part of the lineage of Christ. Or think of that Syrian general Naaman, the leper who was healed, who became a believer. In fact, if you go back when they came out of the land of Israel, it says that when they, I mean, land of Egypt from slavery, that a mixed multitude came with them. Other people from other nations and backgrounds got out at the same time and came along with them. And so they had to have all these regulations as Israel moved from the wilderness as to who's in and who's out. And and as those people became believers in the true God, they were circumcised and were added in. There's this picture there in the Old Testament throughout, but prophecies in the Old Testament that this would be even more true in the future. Even more Gentiles would be part of the people of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 96. We see it often there uh, in the Psalms. And this whole Psalm is about this picture of the Gentiles being brought in. Psalm 96 verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and great is to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It goes on that whole way in that psalm and in other psalms. 
time when the nations will praise him. The prophets talk about it. Isaiah, talk, and Isaiah 56 talks about a time when the people of God, Israel, will be brought back to the Lord in true faith. And, and many others will be brought along with them. And he says there, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the wording that Jesus picks up when he cleanses the temple, the money changers, and he kicks them out and he rebukes them. He said, this house, the house of God, is to be a house of prayer for all nations. As we come into the New Testament, Jesus talked about that a lot. And Matthew 24, when the disciples were asking him, what will be the signs of your return and your coming into your kingdom? And he told them, well, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines, droughts, earthquakes. Sounds a lot like today. Maybe coming sooner than we think. But he said there's one other sign that must be fulfilled before I return. The gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations. That's what he said in the Great Commission, end of Matthew 28. He says, all authority is given to me, now you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. When he rose from the dead, remember he was walking in Luke 24 along the road, he appeared with those two men walking on the road to Emmaus. They didn't understand, they were frustrated and disappointed, and he opened their eyes their eyes to understand what had happened. He said, don't you understand and realize that the Christ had to die and then be raised again and be proclaimed to all the nations. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 has a little, short little section, several phrases that we believe was probably the very first confession of faith, perhaps a part of an early hymn, maybe even something they used at the early baptisms. But it talks about Christ being killed, his death, and his resurrection, and it ends saying that he must be proclaimed to all the nations. We see that at the end of Romans. Turn with me to Romans 15. Paul's great letter, he had not visited that church. He knew a lot of the people there from other places, and he talked about the Gentiles being brought into the people of God, and that Peter and some of the other apostles were sent primarily to the Jews. Paul ministered to Jews too, but he was especially sent to the Gentiles, and he talked about the circumcised, the uncircumcised, being part of the people of God. And finally, here toward the end, he's trying to prove his point. He's saying, now look, this isn't something new. It's not something I came up with. You can go back to the Old Testament and see this was prophesied. It was going to happen. And he puts together a whole bunch of verses prophecies from the Old Testament about it, from the Psalms, from Isaiah, from Deuteronomy. And here's what he says in Romans 15, beginning in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... 
talking about some of these Old Testament passages. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. It's there over and over, and especially perhaps in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. There John gets this vision of heaven, and over and over, how does he describe heaven? A a place where the cherubim are there worshiping God, and the seraphim, and the elders, and people from every tongue and tribe and nation on the earth. And that's the way Revelation and the Bible end. This picture of paradise restored, the garden and the city, new heavens and new earth, and that tree of life. There's no sun or moon there, it says, because you don't need any light. God himself is going to be the light in that place. And the Gentiles, the nations, will walk in that light. And then in the last chapters, it talks about that tree of life There's an interesting phrase there where it says the leaves of that tree, the tree of life, will be for the healing of the nations. That's the ultimate meta-narrative. The ultimate eternal plan and purpose of God that was a mystery until it's been more fully revealed that God has a plan. From eternity past to bring to himself a people from every tongue and tribe and nation on the earth and to prepare them for glory. At Reformed Seminary these years, I've had a great privilege of seeing God at work doing that around the world. You see it. You see it so often. Your missions conferences, even in this own, your own community. But you're a part of it all over. You're a part of it through RTS, this church, and so many of you individually have been some of our major supporters right from the beginning of RTS. i just give you a little glimpse of what, uh, as a report of what I've been privileged to see, God's plan at work in our day. Mike Milton, our new chancellor, was here recently, and I'm sorry we weren't able to be here for that Jim Baird weekend and but Mike's do a great job for us, and he loves to talk about uh, old Christendom, Europe and North America, that needs to be revived, and new Christendom, the global south, where Christianity is spreading so dramatically has the last 50 to 100 years in parts of Africa and South America and Asia, but often it's a mile wide and an inch deep and needs more leadership. We're trying to prepare some of that at RTS. And then the next Christendom, Places where the gospel is not strong yet. Japan. Countries of Islam. But it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and how and what the Lord's going to use. He's going to open the door in those countries too to the gospel because that's his plan. To bring people in from every tongue and tribe and nation. On the earth. And we see cracks of gospel truth 
seeds of gospel truth in those places even now. In Japan, some of our missionaries, some of our grads there, even that tsunami has opened doors there, open hearts that hadn't been opened before. And in some of these Islamic countries, we do a lot of work in Indonesia. We've sent a lot of missionaries there, graduates over the years, but also a number of Indonesian natives have come to RTS and gone back. And it is the largest Muslim population country in the world, more Muslims there than all the Middle East countries put together. But the Christian church is very strong. Reformed church is especially strong and growing. Half a dozen seminaries, reformed seminaries there started by some of our grads and we're working with one of them now to do an RTS degree there in Indonesia. But we're also working, for instance, with a very wealthy family that used to be all Muslims, now they're all Christians. And their vision, and they'll do it, is to start a thousand Christian K-12 through schools throughout Indonesia to evangelize them. Amazing. Or take a place like Iran. Christians in Iran? I was at our Atlanta campus a year and a half ago when all the headlines were about the revolution. Now we call it the Arab Spring there in North Africa, but particularly in Egypt at that time before it spread to some of the other countries. And one of our grads, Sassan Tafasoli, who's from Iran, still ministers to Persians both in Iran and outside of Iran, heard I was in town, wanted to come see me, brought to see me a couple that had just gotten out of Iran, escaped from Iran, given uh, asylum in the U.S. And, and they had a 15-year-old son. He is a, a pediatrician. The man is. The father is. She's a linguist. The, uh, they wanted to get their son settled in this country, they wanted to take some courses, some studies with us at our RTS Atlanta campus, and then they planned to go back to Iran. He's an elder in the church in Iran, the Presbyterian church in Iran. And I asked all three of these Iranians what they thought about what was happening in Egypt, and they all said they thought that it was genuine in the sense of the people looking for freedom of opportunity and so forth, but they said it could be co-opted by the Muslim Brotherhood. And I asked the next logical question, do you hope this revolution spreads to Iran? And they all hesitated, and then they said no. And that surprised me. And I asked why. And they said because of the oppressive regime in Iran, there's so many Muslims right now becoming Christians that the pastors there can't keep up with the converts. And we don't think we want that to change. If political freedom came there, it may be the people won't be interested in the gospel and uh, be looking for other things. Just the exact opposite of what I expected. The Lord is at work. And one of the things that we're going to do at, at RTS, we're going to put a major focus in these coming years and learning everything we can about Islam and how to evangelize Muslims. We've all got to know it. And in the process, we found out we're actually now the only seminary of any kind in the entire country where we'll have a required course on learning about Islam and how to be a witness to it. The Lord is at work in the next Christendom already. 
bringing people from every tongue and tribe and nation and preparing them for glory, bringing them into his family. And he's at work in the new Christendom, the global south. It's amazing what's happening in Africa. And you know so much about it with all your support of African Bible College and the Macon Gymnasium and, and their, their, their college in, in Malawi and now in, opening up again in Liberia. And, and we're thrilled. Paul Tension is one of our grads. Most of their staff are our grads. And, and uh, when they send students from there over here to study, they come to RTS. And we hear all the reports. It's exciting. But when I think about particularly their campus in Uganda, I have to think about the Anglicans there, the, the Episcopalians. They're called Anglicans there. There are three times as many Anglicans there as there are in the U.S. And as you know, so many of those uh, are conservative Anglicans in that part of the world, in Africa, and because of the liberalism and the Episcopal Church in this country, so many of them have sent missionaries to America and started new Anglican denominations here under those bishops in Africa. It's just amazing. One of them is this Archbishop Arambi, a, a tall, distinguished African man who loves the Lord and uh, just standing for, tall for the truth, and his right hand is number two man is an RTS grad, and we hear from him from time to time. South America, Brazil, the largest Presbyterian church in Central and South America. We work closely with them, and we have a degree program in Sao Paulo, and it's exciting to hear what they're doing. Or Mexico, I understand Andres Garza has been here with you, and Andres is one of our grads in Monterey, Mexico, and and all these years of our mission work, our denominational mission work around the world, this is, Andres, is the first time, the first one where a national is now the head of an MTW team. But the Lord is at work in New Christendom. I, I think we have to include China in New Christendom because of so many Christians there already. When the, when the uh, missionaries were kicked out by the, uh, because of the communists in, in the 40s, the estimate then was there might be a million Christians in China. And we're worried for three decades when we couldn't hear what happened to them, where they all killed and wiped out, and now that things have opened up and we're there, we find th the, the minimum estimate is that there may be a hundred million Christians in China. We have the privilege of working there. Actually, we teach three courses a year live in mainland China, send professors there. The Lord is in work, at work in New Christendom, bringing people from every tongue and tribe and nation into his family and preparing them for glory. And also in Old Christendom, in Europe and North America, we need it. And boy, it's sad in Europe, but there, there are spots of light, Highland Theological College up in the Highlands and uh, their academic deans, one of our grads, we hear good reports from them. Or I think of one of our students who's from Germany, pastored in this country for a while. Now he's decided he's going to take on Munich, and he's going back to Munich to start a church. Or, or Stephen McGinnis here from this congregation who's helping out Chris Rogers uh, over at Mercer. And both of them are grads, and we've certainly been praying for Chris, as I know you have, and what he's been through. Uh, but Stephen... Uh, wants to go and start an RUF in Athens, and that's not Athens, Georgia. Uh, that's Athens, Greece, the, his whole family heritage. and they're, they're think, Particularly Eastern Europe, it's amazing what's happened in Ukraine and some of the places there. But when we come back to the U.S., there are thankfully some good things happening here too. Uh, 
I know Mike Milton was up in New England in the fall, just the burnover district in the U.S., just so hard up there for the gospel. Such a large unchurched people, and yet we've got a number of grads up there working together. I had Mike up there to speak, and he came back sharing. He, he was so encouraged. But he said one of the guys told him, he said, look, I'm, it's hard. It's going to take a long time. But our goal, my goal, says I'm praying for 100 churches in 100 years. It's going to take that long. I won't see it, but I want to sow the seeds for it. On the other hand, I saw another one of our grads at San Diego, downtown San Diego, church just going great. And his goal is 100 churches just in the San Diego area in 30 years. Uh, and in the ethnic groups, we started a new campus, our sixth campus, in Houston, Texas. And there, with all the Hispanics, we knew we need someone to help take the lead, try to reach the Hispanics. And uh, Tim McCowan, at this church has supported some over the years, spent 20 years in South America as a missionary, so fluid in, in, in Spanish. He's there taking the lead on that. I think of the Jackson campus. So y'all have, and many of us have tried to work hard in the African-American community over the years. I you know when I was here, we worked with Betty Talbot, Progressive Christian Academy. Y'all have done club programs and, and the, you know, with the uh, Strong Tower Fellowship. And in Jackson, we've done that, but things are beginning to really open up in Jackson. Some of the major black churches in Jackson now are pastored by some of our grads. And Mission Mississippi, this great rec racial reconciliation ministry, is headed by one of our grads, and, and there's a PCA church there that is probably the most racially integrated church in Mississippi and in the PCA, and that's uh, uh, pastored by Walford Thompson, son-in-law, who's been here to preach. Uh, it's doing great. They just doubled their sanctuary from 300 to 600. And one of our grads worked with them for a while, and now he started an RUF at Jackson State, historically black college, and they're having over 200 uh, students come out every week to that Bible study, and their vision is they want to graduate students, send them to RTS Jackson, and send them to all the other historically black colleges to start RUFs. Uh, it's, it's amazing what's happening. We have our first black professor there. We're excited. I was sharing some of this last weekend. We came through Atlanta and worshiped with another one of our grads that y'all love as we do, Randy Pope at Perimeter. And, and he was telling me that as he's worked, worked so much with campus outreach, they've started recently uh, campus outreach chapters on three historically black colleges in Atlanta. And they're wanting to send them to RTS Atlanta. Uh, the, the potential for the future of that kind of thing is tremendous. And I think of what you have supported and prayed for. We've done so much of this because of your prayers and support and your sending the students and all the rest. And, and we've sent some back to you. I think of the impact here, not only Chip and me and John Kinzer and some of these other churches around, Hunter Stevenson out at North Macon and Paul Bankson down in South Macon and uh, Tom Anderson over at Strong River and we could... Parker Avenue down in Perry. We could go on and on and on. And, and, and that's understandable. We, we have good people here from uh, 
other good seminaries serve in, especially our, our sister seminaries that we love so much, like Covenant and Westminster. But it's natural. Jackson's not that far. And most of these grads are from Jackson RTS and have just had a major impact in this area. But I tell you, the seminary campus that's going to have the major impact in the future throughout Georgia is the Atlanta campus of RTS. It's just going to happen. <laughs> We've seen it. Every good seminary today sends some of its graduates all over the country and all over the world. But the major impact of that seminary is where? Within 200 miles of that campus. And we're already beginning to see it out of the Atlanta campus. And it's exciting. That's the campus that's going to... And we encourage you to get up there and see the building, the great building. And we have one of our staff members, Tom Campbell, uh, with us uh, here today. I hope you'll meet Tom. And we're excited... uh, uh, one of our best, one of the best theology professors in the country, Derek Thomas, is now our theology professor at RTS Atlanta, coming over every week from Columbia, South Carolina. And there are exciting things going on. That's going to have an impact. The Lord is at work, thankfully, even here in this country and in Georgia, because we sure need it. But he's going to do it not only in old Christendom, and in new Christendom, but in the next Christendom. He, that's his plan. He is bringing people into his family from every tribe and people and tongue and nation on the earth and preparing them for glory. And the question is, are you a part of that plan? Do you belong to the family? Are you part of that magnificent people of God being prepared for glory? Or are you one of those that Jesus talked about when he said you're going to be one day just thrown away into that place of unquenchable fire where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth? He invites you to come. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, Come to him and find rest for your soul. Find forgiveness of your sins. Find a hope of glory. To find an eternal family. Won't you come to him? To the one who makes, helps make all of our problems and heartaches and difficulties ultimately make sense because he uses those to bring us to himself, to strengthen our faith, and even to enable us to be a witness to others who go through similar heartaches and troubles and trials. But all of it, part of his plan, to prepare this people for glory. But are you not only a part, are you doing your part? Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you going? So many good things to support the missionaries, African Bible College, RTS, other things. But are you praying and giving and going? Are you willing to go across the ocean? Are you willing to go across the street? Talk to your neighbor. Are you willing to go down the hall? One of the people that works with you and invite them to church. Are you part? 
Are you doing your part? It's part of this great plan of the ages. God at work. Bringing people into his family from every tongue and tribe and nation on the earth. And preparing them for glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this plan. For our Savior, who died and rose again for our salvation to bring us into the family of God. How I pray for each one of us here that we would see our sin and flee to Christ. Find our home and our hope in Him. And then as we face, as we're going to face struggles and difficulties in this life along with the blessings, that we'd see it all as part of your ultimate plan to preach prepare us and to prepare others for glory. That we see ourselves and be a part of that ultimate meta-narrative, your story from beginning to end. That you'd use us for your glory as well as prepare us for the glory to come. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.